Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Patricia Skalka. She is a former freelance staff writer for Reader's Digest, specializing in medical and human interest stories. She has worked as a magazine editor, ghostwriter, and writing instructor. Patricia and I will be discussing about life, living, writing, and her popular Dave Kubiak Door County Mystery Series. Good morning, Patricia. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm just fine. Thanks, Johnny. It's good to be here. Fantastic. It is wonderful and a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Dave Kubiak Door County Series are wonderful novels for mystery lovers. I like your eloquent style of storytelling, so congratulations. Thank you. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, I grew up on the south. I'm in Chicago, and I'm a native of Chicago. I grew up on the far southeast side of the city, um, very um, blue-collar neighborhood, and um, went to parochial elementary school, parochial and all-girls Catholic high school, which was, by the way, great because you really learned a lot. And um, I, I feel strongly about the value of that. And went on to um, college, which was not real typical for uh, kids growing up in my neighborhood. But education was very important in my household. My father always stressed it. The television was not turned on unless we had to have permission to turn it on. We were to read. We were to study. And... Um, so it all helped, and I went on to become a writer. Uh, I, actually, I was a, a writer even in school, but um, went on to become a professional editor and writer, and um, you know, one thing led to another. In my personal life, um, I was very blessed to have a wonderful marriage for 30 years, and actually 33 years um, before my husband died, I was widowed. We had two wonderful children who are now young adults, uh, two wonderful young ladies, and uh, I just kept writing my way through all of that. So uh, here I am today, going from being a nonfiction writer to being a fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Who were some of your favorite authors when you were growing up? Oh, when I was growing up, you know, I started with all of the classic. I loved mysteries. I, I loved the mm-hmm. puzzles of them. So I read Nancy Drew. I read uh, the Sherlock Holmes short stories, and and mm-hmm. um, you know, and then went on to uh, Agatha Christie um, and Dorothy Sayers. I loved Dorothy Sayers. I was probably more of a teenager when I started reading her and Jean Le Carré. His his stories. Um, actually, I started mostly by reading biographies when I when I would mm-hmm. go to the library we had a little traveling library and I read biographies of famous women and was you know just intrigued by them and then when I was about I don't know 10 or 12 I borrowed a copy of The Secret Garden from one of my aunts and I read that and it just kind of blew the door open for me it was you know it was it was so different. It was fiction. It was wonderful. This marvelous, marvelous story. And then that's probably when I switched to to reading more fiction. Very interesting. 
I started out reading fiction when I was growing up. I certainly am familiar with Nancy Drew, and one of the other favorite mystery series is the Hardy Boys Mm -hmm. mystery series. And then somewhere along the line, I switched from fiction to nonfiction because I realized that, well, that's fiction. And I want something tangible where I could really imagine that these things really happen. And you talk about biography and all that. I love all that stuff. So that's quite a change between you and I from that standpoint of view growing up in terms of reading things that we like. When did you discover you have a talent for writing? You know, that's a good question because I was actually, um, I I was the little girl who sat Mm -hmm. at the kitchen table. You know, my feet couldn't even touch the floor and I I would be, I I didn't even have cursive writing yet. I was printing out my story. So I was always writing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I had a little notebook that had lined paper on it and I would print out page upon page and, and then paper clip or, or staple the pages together and I'd have like a little book of my story. And mm-hmm. and I was doing this when I was, I don't know, six years old, five, six, seven years old. And um, it, it just was something I enjoyed doing. I think I was intrigued by words and the fact that you could take words and and, and tell a story with them, create mm-hmm. something that didn't exist. I have no visual talent. Um, you know, I admire people who can paint, who can draw, mm-hmm. who who can create things um, out of material, and, and I can't do that. I mean, I, it just escapes me totally. But for me, the medium is words, so that's what I use. Very interesting. I enjoy reading. I can picture things out. So it's sort of a letting the imagination run wild. So it's quite interesting when you talk about in terms of you writing, do you picture things out in your mind as well? Oh, absolutely. I picture them out. I work them out. Um, you know, it, it, there's there's a classic story, and I don't know who this is about, but mm-hmm. someone was some writer was wanting to describe somebody crumpling like a, a soda can, and he actually <laughs> sat at his desk doing it. Oh, you know, taking them, <laughs> doing it, and and I do that. I get up, I walk around. You know, you describe yeah. somebody reaching for something or somebody turning around in a chair. Well, exactly, what do they right. look like when they're doing that? How how easy is it? Because otherwise, you you find yourself maybe describing something that's virtually impossible or 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 it's just so dated and 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 it doesn't right. have any any real meaning to it so yeah i i walk around waving my arms and you know <laughs> acting acting things out as it were um not killing people but you know <laughs> other things just 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 so i really get the feel for it and yeah, and sometimes yeah. it's great because it it gives you a better word a better description instead of what you would just use automatically very interesting. Were any of your siblings into reading as well and perhaps writing as well? Um, I have an older brother, and he was he did some writing for a while. He was more into photography. Uh, mm-hmm. He was very good at it, and, and he always liked to read too, but he was more like you. He, he, he read fiction, but he also, I think he leaned more heavily toward nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You are an accomplished nonfiction writer, so what prompted you to switch to fiction? Well, I I was nonfiction for oh my whole professional career. I yeah. worked for the Reader's Digest. I wrote for Ladies Home Journal, Glamour, the National Observer in the days when it existed, and I enjoyed all of that because I really enjoyed telling people stories. But I I think it was the fact that I was always reading fiction along 
the mm-hmm. way, as, as even as I was was writing nonfiction, and I had this desire to to just be a novelist when I grew up, as it were, you know, kind of a second mm-hmm. career, and it it was just a very strong um, goal, you know. Can I do this? Can I can I can I make that jump? And and I just decided that I would try it, and I got the ideas and and thought, okay, this this is this is a challenge for me, and either it's going to work or it's not going to work, but at least I will have tried. Because you don't always succeed at everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I've certainly tried many things that haven't worked out um, in my life, but you you don't know unless you try. And then yeah. at least you have the satisfaction of saying, well, you know, I, I gave it my best, and uh, right. and, and that's the most you can uh, hope for. Yeah, so true. I knew there were challenges. You mentioned that. How difficult were they to overcome in switching from nonfiction to fiction? I had to really literally teach myself to be a fiction writer. I mean, I knew I had some skills that were applicable. Um, mm-hmm. I knew how to interview people, and that's important because even in fiction you have to um, uh, do research. You have to talk to people about how mm-hmm. how they do things. Or, you know, if you want to learn new information to incorporate in your work, you have to go out and get it. So I knew how to do research. I knew how to interview. I knew how to write a decent sentence, how to put together a paragraph. I, mm-hmm. I knew the concept of, of the what I think of as the full circle, whether mm-hmm. you're writing a book or or an article, you start with a premise. Uh, there's a problem to be solved. There's a goal to be reached. Does the person get there, the person you're writing about? Or, or right. in, in fiction, the story you're creating. You have to go full circle and answer that question um, or, or resolve the issue that you've presented right at the beginning. So I, I knew how to do that. But doing it in a 74,000-word manuscript is a lot different <laughs> than doing it in a 7,000-word article. So the plotting development all of that is is different and and um i you know i attended conferences i took courses i i read and i read constantly and i think that was one of the things that was my my you know one of my primary teachers was was the was the work that i was reading because you yeah. see how other people accomplish things and do things and you you know what holds your interest there are many many different kinds of mysteries as there are many different kinds of of, of work in in every genre and right. you find the one that appeals to you and and I my, my one goal when I decided that I was going to try to write a mystery was that I wanted to write the kind of book that I would read because mm-hmm. there are a lot of books out there that I you know just don't appeal yeah. to me it's like we have that's why we have 35 flavors of ice cream not everything <laughs> appeals to everybody you know everybody has their own particular taste so right. that was my goal mm-hmm. and so I I just kept doing it and and actually yeah. the first draft of of my first Dave Kubiak book was a yeah. disaster because I decided that I was going to create a whole new way of writing a mystery and it mm-hmm. didn't quite work I gave it to um you know several good people to read mm-hmm. and they said oh you know well and I was missed <laughs> that they didn't really love it <laughs> and cuz I thought it was wonderful um yeah. but it was because I had the overview of the story but was not really presenting enough of it to the reader. I, I was focusing, each chapter was about someone completely different and a whole different aspect of what was going on. Eventually, all the pieces would fall into place. Uh, that was my master plan. But then I realized that, no, I had to follow a more standard format and um, did a lot of revisions, many revisions, in fact, of the first book before it got to the point where it was um, publishable. 
that's 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 a very hard lesson to learn. But I I think being a nonfiction writer and having been edited by some very tough editors that mm-hmm. helped. I had a thick skin. You know, it's not personal. <laughs> you know, you just have to keep keep going at right. it. Right. Right. What makes a person a good mystery storyteller? Curiosity. Um, you keep asking yourself, "What if? What if? What if?" Mm-hmm. Creating new challenges and new hurdles, making it a complex story, being being organized. You have to be able to follow a lot of different threads and make sure you don't lose mm-hmm. any of them or end up in blind alleys or dead ends. You yeah. have to keep pulling all these things together. And I I think the for me anyway, what's really important is plotting it out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that I feel like I really, really know my story, know my characters. And um if you build if you create characters that are credible to yourself in your own mind and they kind of take on a life of their own and, and they start flowing with the story as you see it or flowing against mm-hmm. it as you see it and doing their own thing. But oh. all of this comes together um, eventually to create a good story. You have to have a good setting, credible characters who mm-hmm. are uh, appealing or mm-hmm. interesting. They don't even have to be appealing. They could be appalling, but they have to be interesting to the reader. And then mm-hmm. you have to have a, 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 a good storyline. That's wonderful. Do you daydream a lot? Yeah, I I don't know if I would use the term daydream, but I I I maybe I do, but I I look at things and I it, again it's the what if what if this happened yeah. or what if that person were there or what if these two people met. I have a great idea for a story based on um, two people that I have known in real life in very different circumstances who never actually met, but I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what if? What if at some point in time their lives had intersected? Not necessarily those two people, but based on those two people. I haven't written that one yet, and it's not a mystery. But it's it's the what if that that fascinates me. That is the creative side of being an author, isn't it? I mean, to really play out the movie in your mind and then put it on paper. I think so. Um, yes, that's a very good way of putting it. You play out the movie in your mind, and and you, um, what, what's interesting is, and, and this is what I always tell people when I give talks about this: the difference between nonfiction and fiction. When you're writing nonfiction, you're bound by the facts, mm-hmm. unless you want to make, you know, you know, unless you want to get fired from your job. <laughs> but you know, you you have to stay true. You're you, you're limited by what actually happened or what is happening. Yeah. When you write fiction. You're still bound by the facts, but you get to make them all up. Uh. <laughs> but you still have to you have to remain true to them. You can't just pull in some magical, you know, wave a magic wand at the end and have everything fall into place. It has to be credible. So right. it, it it's it is you're 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 creating a movie. You're 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 making this story unfold in your head. You're you're trying to entertain people, but I think you're also I don't know. I feel very strongly that a good mystery does way more than just tell a story, than 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 resolve a crime. You know, who done it? Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think a, a good mystery provides insight into human character, and that's something that I really try to do with my Dave Kubiak series: is mm-hmm. is look at the motives 
and he, my character, my protagonist, Kubiak, yeah. is very interested in that, and and he's very sympathetic to people because he's um, he's a man who's greatly burdened as as the as the series starts, and mm-hmm. he knows what it's like to want revenge, and he understands these things that drive people to to sort of step outside of you know to let their moral compass go wild, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um, so he's very sympathetic. To, to why people do what they do, um, even though he's there to enforce the law. But I, I really think what I want to do with my books is mm-hmm. to have the reader try and say, "Oh my gosh, what would I do under those circumstances? Would mm-hmm. I would I have wanted revenge so badly, or would I have felt so justified?" I mean. In a murder mystery, someone dies. Somebody right. commits the most heinous of crimes. They take a human life, and they feel justified in doing it. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. What happened to them? And how do you, as the reader, feel about that? What would you have done in their circumstance? How would you have resolved those that, that inner turmoil? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the way I think. That's the way I write. So, um, and and I find that you know, some for some, it's some people's cup of tea, and other people, it's like, well, you know, they 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 don't, um, they just want it. They just want the handcuffs slapped on. They don't want the rest of it. But I, right. I, I like the I like looking into into the into the background, into the backstory of what happened sure. to bring people to that point. Some would say that you like to tether into the dark side. There's something within your own personal psyche that is driving that what if and so forth. Is that what really drew you to the, say, murder mystery equation of fiction? No, I mean, well, I don't think I'm like a secret, you know, bad person. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I, I think we all, I think we all have our our better angels and and our and our darker angels. Yeah. And um, I, I, I think you know every, everyone has a moral compass, right. and you either stay true to that or you you don't. And mm-hmm. and I'm intrigued with with the reasons why people <laughs> feel that they they can step away from it, that they can they can step beyond the let the rules don't apply to them. Yes, it right. is wrong to kill, but you know I I'm I'm justified because right. Um, and, and I I I like the fact that. You know we have to have um, we have to have rules in 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 order to have society, and you mm-hmm. can't let people step outside the bounds. So it, it's a good question of of how you how you justify the mm-hmm. the two struggles: the struggle for wanting to get even, for example, uh, the struggle for being the more powerful person, and and the need to do what's right. So true. In other yeah. words, all your stories has that sort of a subliminal underlying value, moral value, because you talk several times about moral compass. So mm-hmm. it challenges the readers in terms of engaging them in the situation where, like you had mentioned before, if you were in this person's shoes, what would you do? Right. And in each of my stories, whatever happens today, you know, the crime is committed mm-hmm. in the current mm-hmm. time. It's linked to something way, way back that goes back years or decades. So everyone has had things happen to them that have been 
unjust, unfair, um, maybe more extreme in some cases than in other. And then how do you deal with that over time? How do you resolve those issues? That's why in the first book there are many suspects. Every one of them would have been justified in committing the murders. You know, Kubiak yeah. sees this. And, but only one of them did. So how did the other people resolve their anger and their sense of, of being wronged? How come, mm-hmm. they, how come they aren't all out running around murdering people? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, I, I like to, to, to think about that and play with that because um, we, we all have things that we can just carry, um, carry around with us or we can learn to let go. Or we can we can take our anger and our and our desire for revenge and and do something else with it. Kubiak has a great desire for revenge um, in the first book, and he has to face down his own demons before he can even get involved in solving the crime. And I I like that because I think it's very true to human life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. How much research do you do before you write? I know you mentioned that you've done research in some ways in terms of writing, of course, nonfiction, but even in fiction, the facts have to be correct and precise. So how much research did you do in terms of being able to be precise in what you wrote in the series? Well, if there was something I didn't know anything about, I mean, people mm-hmm. always, you know, oftentimes writers are told, write what you know. Well, that right, can be very right. limiting. I, you know, you can you can write about things you don't know if you're willing to go and find out about them. Mm-hmm. So it, it it varied from one book to the, in the first book, you know, obviously I interviewed the sheriff and I found out some of the, you know, the parameters of how things work. But, you know, I said, well, I do things a little differently. And he was fine with that. You know, he said, this mm-hmm. is fiction. It doesn't, when you do fiction, you have to be sort of, you know, at least, close to to accurate but you, right. you're not presenting you know it's not a how-to it's not how does the sheriff's yeah. department work um and in the second book there were several uh, things that i wanted to incorporate and i'll give you one example um mm. i wanted to have one of my characters who's now retired doing something so that when when and he's a father figure to Kubiak so when they get together they're not just sitting and talking they're doing something together and the doing something was refitting or refurbishing an old wooden sailboat which i know nothing about mm-hmm. but it's a setting where there are people do sail there are a lot of boats around it was the perfect thing so i had to go find somebody who would literally walk me through it take me by the mm-hmm. hand and say this is how i would do it and then I could pick out how much of that I wanted to incorporate into the book. And one of the first people who read the book and reviewed it formally said they were very impressed by how much I knew about refinishing wooden sailboats, which I thought was just a wonderful compliment <laughs> because I didn't know anything about it, but I went and learned about it. So I had to yeah. do, you know, I had to do a certain amount of research in that. For the mm-hmm. third book, the one I'm finishing up now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to interview the FBI because I didn't know how the FBI functioned and right. uh, whether they would be involved. in the. I had this whole scenario in my head, and I had to find out, well, am I on target? Is, is, is this accurate? What, what, which of these things would happen, and if so, how would they happen? So, um, you know, you, that's what I had to do. You, you, and anything that, that works to make the story better, you, you have to be willing to find out about it and, and have people read and critique and, and mm-hmm. be willing to mm-hmm. listen to what they say. 
Mm-hmm. Do you use your writing to express yourself or just to entertain others? Oh, both. Um, I mean, I don't see how you can get away from doing both. Mm-hmm. Um, I express my own feelings, I guess, uh, opinions about people and, and situations, but also to entertain. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with with entertaining people. Right. Um, and right. you can do so with also by by also, but also educating people. Um, you can educate people. I mean, you know, you read if you read historical fiction, for example, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's a mystery or, or not. You learn a lot about a certain period. Uh, if you read a book that's set um, somewhere where you've never been. Um, you learn about the geography, let's say, and the customs of that particular area while you're being entertained. So it broadens your horizons. Um, we have a, um, a public broadcasting, a public mm-hmm. television station in Chicago, WTTW, and what the letters stand for are Window to the World. And that's what I think of books as fiction mm-hmm. and nonfiction, all Things that are written are, are literally windows to the world. They give you a view into something you might not otherwise experience. So, educational and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Looking back at the years that you have written very successfully all the nonfiction stories, and now you're switching over to the fiction side of publishing, how do you see yourself? in terms of the growth, perhaps, or the things that you've learned, how does life affect your writing? Uh, Well, everything in life forms who you are. Mm -hmm. And so, in a sense, everything you experience, everything you see, that you hear, um, helps broaden your own experience with people and and then just provides more material, I think, for for the work. If mm-hmm. you you know riding the L in Chicago, oh my gosh, you know, you see all kinds of humanity walking in front of you, right? And right. you know, it gives you a, a, a more to draw on, a larger palette, let's say, of, mm-hmm. of color and and character and people. So the more that you experience in life, I think, the more you have to bring to bear. Um, in your writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, you know I, I I'm a better writer now than I was 20 years ago, 30 years mm-hmm. ago because I know more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it it all comes into play. Wonderful. The Dave Kubiak Door County Mystery Series is set in the Midwest. In an interesting standpoint of view, it is fairly regional. How do you create a non-regional appeal for the books? The books have universal themes. Mm-hmm. They could be, you know, and so to that in that respect, you know, it's a, these are stories that that could happen anywhere. Now they are set mm-hmm. in in a very unique place. Door County is a is called the Cape Cod of the Midwest. It's a peninsula that juts out into Lake Michigan. On Lake Michigan on one side, Green the Bay of Green Bay on the other. So you've got hundreds of miles of shoreline. You've got forest. You've got this wonderful rich history. Of, of fishermen, of loggers, of tourists, of artists, and 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 all blended together, and farmers and and the, the cherry growing, you know, orchards. But the story, 
the first book is a story of greed, revenge, and lost love. Now, it happens to occur in that place. Every story occurs someplace. You could have right. a story of greed, revenge, and lost love set in the middle of Manhattan or mm-hmm. in Martha's Vineyard. Does that make them regional? No. Um, they just that they happen to have a particular setting. Mm-hmm. The second book is a story that really focuses on lies and deceit and what happens when people realize that they have been um, misled mm-hmm. for decades. How Again, how do they respond to that? So it happens in a small fishing village at the north end of Door County. Could have happened anywhere. So it, it's the universal themes that make these uh, mm-hmm. That gives these books the wider appeal. Now, many people do enjoy reading about a place that's familiar to them. We're all, you know, we all do that. You know, you read right. that in Chicago. If you're from Chicago, you picture the street corner, whatever. You know, that's normal. But I can read. I've never been to London, for example, but I read a story set in London, and I can. It, it takes me someplace I haven't been. So I've had readers who say, oh, I love it because I'm so familiar with Door County and I could just picture everything. And then I've had other people say, I've never been there, but it sounds great. I'd love to go. So it, it, there's that appeal to, to, to both kinds of readers. Interesting. Do you intend to write a series when you started out? No. <laughs> I wrote the first book, <laughs> Death Stalks Door County, fully yeah. intending it to be a stand what's called a standalone mystery. Yeah. And a couple of things happened. One was that um I really liked my characters, my my kind of core group of people and mm-hmm. um I, I just didn't want to just walk away from them and, and the second thing was that as I was writing the first book there were ideas coming to me for other you know, other stories. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, wow, this really could be a series. So by the time I finished it, I had decided that it would be a series. Um, but that was not my intention when I started. Very interesting. Many mystery writers deal in strictly black and white, but your books, especially Death at Grills Rock, which is the second book in the series, has a lot of gray in it. So why is that? Because there's a lot of gray in life. <laughs> I, I mean, r- truthfully, that that yeah. you know, I, yeah. I don't think everything is cut and dry, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think if you try, if you try to live your life by everything being black and white, um, you're going to end up very um, limited and confused, and you're going to miss out mm-hmm. on all kinds of, of things that are going on out there. Um, and, and it's the same in, in books. I, I really think that I wanted this to to be as to be a real portrayal, an accurate portrayal of what happens to people in a situation. This is the book with, with the deceit and the lies. And, mm-hmm. and and many, you know, a whole group of people discover that they've been misled for many, many years. So they have to, like, change their, their frame of mind. But nobody is all good and all evil. So that, you know, there's all this, there is all this area of gray. And how do you find your way through that? We, we all face that. You know, these, mm-hmm. it's like, in a sense... There's a lot of fog out there in life, and you have to mm-hmm. find your way through it. So I wanted to convey that in, in the books. Are the characters in your stories based on real people? You know, that's a great question, and, and I get asked that, and I always <laughs> I used to just blithely say, no, no, of course not. And, and mostly they are not, but in truth, yeah. 
when I think about it, there was mm-hmm. a, a a woman I knew. She is now deceased, um, but she was a, a real grand lady, you know, tall and determined and very smart. And she was um, a friend for a long time, and and uh, she used to always kind of bug me about, you know, because I would tell her I wanted to write fiction, and she'd say, "Well, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Just just do it." Mm-hmm. And she was a strong supporter of the arts, and I realized that, and her name was Ruth, that mm-hmm. one of my characters in the first book, whose name is Ruby, mm-hmm. um, is really based on her. And mm-hmm. I don't think it was a conscious decision, but as I was creating this character, I realized that, yeah, there was a direct link. But that's really the only one. Everybody else is a composite or a complete segment of my imagination you know you uh, people have human your characters have human characteristics so right um, right in a sense you you're picking up things from people that you know and experiences you've had but they're they're all completely fictionalized except except for that one mm-hmm. and in a sense i i realized that when i was doing it that i i think i was acknowledging my my um debt that i owed to this woman, Ruth, that it was a tribute to her because she'd mm-hmm. been the one who'd always been encouraging me to do to make the jump. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You talk about just now with regards to how your book has that mess appeal about things could happen anywhere, any place. It doesn't matter because you're talking about the human story. Your protagonist, Dave Kubiak, is a troubled man, a flawed character, basically. What is his appeal to you and to the reader? I think, again, uh, you know, just as there is fog in life and grayness in life, mm-hmm. we are all flawed characters. Uh, we've all had trials and tribulations in life and things that we have had to overcome. And that's what I wanted my main character to be like. And I, I think a lot of that grew from my experience as a Reader's Digest writer because I I did human interest stories. So I was always interviewing people who had um, faced great odds, overcome great challenges, uh, done what seemed impossible, persisted through you know, great dire emergencies. And I got to know so many people like that, you know, sitting in their living rooms, sitting at their kitchen tables, kind of getting them to open up and, and tell their story, um, that I, I realize that there's a tremendous appeal in that because we all we all want to be the person who who overcomes and we all want to be the person who, who rises to challenges in life. And it, it we we cheer for the underdog. We cheer for the person mm-hmm. who who faces the overwhelming odds. And I I think we have a lot of sympathy for characters like that. And I know I personally do. And so that's what I wanted my main character to be like. And it's amazing to me. I've had people actually come up to me and say, "Is he okay? Is Dave getting better?" <laughs> <laughs> and this one woman said to me, he's such a good man, I just want him to be okay. Yeah. And I was so touched by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a very moving experience to, to think that people um, you know, re- related yeah. so strongly to, to, to Kubiak, and they really do, um, because I think he touches something um, in, in, in the heart of, of the reader. 
I had mentioned to you about how you have added so much to the character, Dave Kubiak's character. In book one, there's a section where Kubiak basically went into introspection. Is that introspection in some ways applies to you? No, that's you can't avoid as a writer. You can't avoid bringing in the life lessons you've learned, or mm-hmm. that you that other people have learned that you are aware of. But I really tried hard. I mean, this is not my story. This is Dave Kubiak's mm-hmm. story, and mm-hmm. so I you know, tried to uh, you know keep keep myself separate from that. Um, and it's interesting because he suffers great loss and. I've Mm -hmm. had great loss in my life, but I wrote the Dave Kubiak, the first first many versions Mm -hmm. of the Dave Kubiak story before before my own experience. Right. And if nothing else, it was when I went back to it, I was amazed by how how much I had it right. But that Mm -hmm. came from all those years of interviewing people for Mm -hmm. various, you know, human interest stories, people who had endured great trauma and suffering and trial. So I, I I think I just, it was there. I mean, I knew what people went through. And I've had other people um, say to me, yeah, you really hit the mark. That's exactly mm-hmm. the way it is. Right. So right. It, it's, you know, there's that commonality right. of, 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 of experience of when you have lost, there's, there, you know, er, everybody's different, but everybody's the same in, in that they experience this grief and guilt. Um, as he does. What is the special something about your series that defines itself as being different? I think one of the things that makes it different is that it moves through time. Mm-hmm. I have uh, you know many many books that are series are always written at the eternal present. The characters never really grow up; they never grow older. Uh, they're just always the same, and that's mm-hmm. not the case for the Dave Kubiak series. I have it planned. I have six books planned, uh, and they're going to move through a period of about 20 years. So like all of us, Dave is going to grow older. His core group of friends, everyone is going to move through time, face new challenges and life circumstances. And that is not very typical um, mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of mystery series. But one of the reasons I did it was because he is so damaged and, mm-hmm. and, and hurting in the first book. I didn't want him to be stuck there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to move him through time. And, and I, I just like that idea. It makes it harder in some ways because, it, you know, it, you just have to rethink a lot of things. But right. um, I wanted him to to um, to, to move through through life. So he starts off in the first book, he's 42. In the second book, it's about two years later, so he's 44. In the third book, he's looking forward to, like his, well, he's not really, you know, his 46th birthday is coming <laughs> up. So he's, he's, he's changing. Yeah. Life is changing for him. Mm-hmm. So by the time the series ends, he'll be in his early 60s. He'll be a different person, and his circumstances will be different. He'll have to make different kinds of decisions about things. Right. Um, and a life will change for all of the people. So um, I, I like that. Um, and, and that, I think, is, the, is something that really distinguishes the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How much of you is in the books? That's a 
you know, that's that's a tough question to answer because certainly your own, as a writer, you know, your own life mm-hmm. experiences is brought to bear on everything. Um, people you've met, people you've known, circumstances that you're aware of, things you've read, things you've been exposed to. So to an extent, probably quite a lot, but then to another extent, you're looking at it through the lens of your characters, and they're not mm-hmm. you. You know, they have their own way of doing things and their own way of speaking and their own way of thinking. So it's a mishmash of the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when I will write the dialogue between a couple of characters the way, you know, and I'm it's like, wow, this is exactly what they would say. And then I wake up at 3 in the morning and I realize <laughs> they'd never talk that way. It's not true to who they are. Yeah. So then I have to throw it all out and start all over again, and it has to be them speaking in their voices mm-hmm. and not me dictating what I think they should be doing. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a lot of back and forth like that. And you have to, I think one of the things is as a writer, you, you have to yeah. learn to recognize that and be willing to say, okay, that was me, that's not working, What's what's true to my character? Is it difficult to write? in the man's voice? I mean, you have a lot of male characters in your book. Yeah. Um, No, because uh, I grew up with a a very strong father figure. I had Uh an older brother. All my, uh, I was the first girl born into both sides of the family, so I had all boy cousins. (laughs) And, um, you know, learned a lot from just tagging along with them. So, um, and I do have male readers. Who mm-hmm. who are what are called my beta readers and 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 they'll they'll stop me on something if that's they'll say no you know a guy wouldn't do that or <laughs> or whatever so I, I I do get my expert in my expert right. input uh huh interesting very interesting do you write from an outline and do you keep daily schedule for writing I try to keep a daily schedule um, but that sometimes is more theoretical than actual but. <laughs> I I plot the story out before I start writing. I plot mm-hmm. it out step by step, very very um, uh, compl- you know it, it, down to, to a lot of detail. And, it, and it's not it's not good writing. I mean, it's just like it's called a beat line. It's bullet points of, mm-hmm. of actions. Whether people are thinking something or doing something, you know, the phone rings, somebody says this, and then mm-hmm. it, it, it's like the storyboard for a movie where you picture mm-hmm. kind of a little sketch of every single thing that happens. And I find that if I do that, it, it's like planning a trip. You know, if I want to drive to Mexico City from Chicago, how am I going to get there? Am I going to just get in my car and point myself south and head off, knowing that eventually I'll reach my destination, or do I plot out my route? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in a way, what I do is I plot out the route for the story so that I know everything that's going to happen. And then when I sit down to write it, it, it's like it frees me up. I don't have to worry about what comes next. I don't have to worry about, mm, now what? What are they? You know, where are they going to go? I, I, yeah, I know yeah. all this. Now all I have to do is focus on telling the story and and doing telling it in 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 a way that is really well written and well developed with a lot of description and good dialogue but I know what's coming next and it eliminates I mean this doesn't work for everybody people have to find their own way of writing but it works for me and it it eliminates writer's block 
it eliminates that terror of sitting down in front mm-hmm. of a blank screen every morning, like, oh my God, what am I going to write today? Because <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. And I find it very, um, uh, very in, in enabling and mm-hmm. inspiring because I, I, it takes a long time though. I mean, for the for the second book, I think it took me a solid three weeks, maybe four weeks, mm-hmm. of doing nothing but thinking out the story, literally step by step by step, and then adding different elements and expanding it. The first time I wrote the first beat line for it. I had like maybe 13 pages. That wasn't enough. By the time I went through various versions, I ended up with 23 pages. Single space. This happens, this happens. It's the what if. What if, what if, yeah, what if. Yeah. And, um, and then I had the whole thing, and then I could sit down and just relax. Do you know the outcome? Oh, yes. Before? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know the outline. I mean, I know the outcome. I know why it ends that way. Um and I know that there are other people that they're called pantsers. I've, I've been on panels with them. They go by the seat of their pants. They get a great idea. Right. They sit down. They start writing, and it works for them. And God bless them. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, whatever works for you is what you do. Um, but they also say, "Well, then I decided to change my mind, and I had to throw out twenty pages or something." That's right. I don't want to have to throw out twenty pages. <laughs> so um, I I just prefer the other method and. And I know, I mean, some of the people who write that way have looked at me and said, oh, but doesn't that take the excitement away from it? Right. right. And my my answer to that is no. It makes it more exciting because I know everything. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. have to tell the story now. It's so an interesting it's, approach, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting approach, but you really have to do what works for you. Probably mm-hmm. some people would find this horrible, and so they, they do it a different way. Um, Agatha Christie, supposed uh, you know, in a bathtub drinking martinis and mm-hmm. dictating her stories into a tape recorder. Well, mm-hmm. if that's what worked for her, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't work for me. What life experience that you have encountered that led you to the character of Dave Kubiak? Uh, I don't think there was any life experience. I just I, I wanted. I wanted a character who, I I have to back up. I had a story that was set in a place where people knew each other for generations. And I needed an outsider, mm-hmm. someone who wouldn't know the people, who wouldn't know their histories, wouldn't know the old wrongs and, 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 and the, the injustices that had been done over time. So I had to have an outsider. I knew um, a number of of men who were cops, they were mm-hmm. friends, and I'd heard a lot of their stories, and I knew that a lot of people go from Chicago, go up to different parts of the Midwest, northern Michigan, northern Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and start, you know, recreating themselves uh, for whatever reason. And so I needed to have this outsider, and, and um, it just worked for me for the story to have it be Dave Kubiak, and I wanted him to have this burden this guilt, um, these issues, these problems that he was struggling with, um, because I, I I just thought it made him a more interesting character. And I wanted him to be, not just that it made him more a more interesting character, but it made him more sympathetic to the people he was then dealing with, mm-hmm. sympathetic mm-hmm. to their situations. 
So all of that came into play in, in to create Dave Kubiak. Interesting. What would you like for your readers to get from reading the Dave Kubiak Door County Mystery Series? Well, I would like them to be entertained. I would like them to understand or to 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 be more sympathetic to people's situations, um, to the fact that life isn't all black and white, that there is a lot of gray. Um, I'd like them to maybe come to Door County if they've never been there, mm-hmm. um, and and just to appreciate that. Really, ultimately, life is precious, that, and that there's beauty and, and, and that there are good people all around. Even though I'm writing murder mysteries, yes, there are good people. Um, and and to, to realize that, and to realize that we are all ultimately responsible for the decisions we make. And right. even, the, even the people who commit the crimes, I mean, they don't have to commit those crimes. Mm-hmm. They decide so they're going to do that. Make to make people stop and think again. You know what I said right at the beginning. Yeah. To to have the reader consider what what would I do in that situation. There's tremendous amount of take home value. I guess there's lessons to be learned from reading. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I th- I think we learn about um, um, people who are generous and kind. We learn about people who find different ways of of solving life's challenges and problems, and you know that's all very valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. Where can someone go to buy the books, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, I have a website which is patriciaskalka dot com, so they can follow me on that and and. Um, read about events or, or get some background information on me. It's all there, information about the books as well. Uh, the books are available through the University of Wisconsin Press. They are available at independent bookstores across the country. Uh, Barnes & Noble, many Barnes & Noble stores carry them. They're at barnesandnoble.com, and they're available at Amazon. Uh, you can get the book anywhere you want to. Uh, it's available in hard. Co- they're both available in hardcover and uh, in ebook format. Wonderful. How has your life changed since your first book was published? It's gotten very busy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always been busy. But what the one thing I guess I didn't expect um, mm-hmm. was the amount of of uh, outreach. You know, you always you, you yeah. you're told as a writer, oh, you know, you have to pu- help promote your own book and everything. But I find myself doing a lot of of events. I, I speak and do do readings at libraries and bookstores, um, and there's way more of that than I realized. Um, and and it's fun. It's challenging. It's time consuming, but it's really nice to. Um, it's a great way to to meet readers, and. Mm-hmm. Um, People are very interested in in talking to authors and finding out more about the process and finding out more about their books and their characters. So um, it's interesting. And doing things like this, you know, being interviewed um, by by um, various people on Blog Talk Radio and on, on other radio kinds of stations, being interviewed for newspaper articles. Um, it, it, it's it's very. It's not something I really expected to happen to the extent that it has, but it, yeah. it's been um, it's been a pleasure doing all of this. Fantastic. 
What three things can you share with aspiring writers to help them sharpen their storytelling skills? The first thing I would say is to be humble. Because if you worship at the altar of your own words, you're never going to get better. So there's always a lot to learn. And you have to, I would suggest, being joining a critique group or starting one, listening to the criticisms. It's still your own work. You get to decide what you're going to change or not change, but be open to what people tell you or what they suggest. Um, attend conferences. Read read books on, on on your craft, and also read in the style of writing that you're that you're working on. So all of that is is just critically important. The other thing I would say is pay attention to keep that notebook in your pocket or your purse, jot things down, a phrase you might hear, a description, something that that strikes you, a color of the water, a color of the sky. All of this you know, don't rely on your memory, but but jot it down. And all of this uh, gives you more material to incorporate then in, in your own work. And I think the final thing would be not to give up. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be a writer and do the whatever whatever it is you're writing, it doesn't matter if it's historical fiction, if it's biography, um, if, if it's a how-to, you know, whatever it is, just keep working at it. Expose yourself to other writers in the same arena. Learn from them and keep trying to make your work better and better because then eventually you will succeed. Excellent advice. What is next for you? Well, what's next for me is finishing book three in the Dave Kubiak Door County Mystery Series. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm very close to being finished with it. And then um, moving on to writing three more, because as I said, I have this yeah. kind of master plan for for three books. For I mean, for six books total. Mm-hmm. So I will have. Um, I'm hoping within the next month or six weeks to finish the third one, and then um, move on from there. So that that's kind of my immediate plan. Um, I have other ideas for books, but those are you know down the road a piece. Interesting. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? I think the recipe that I would share is is kind of a takeoff on some words or a thought that Abraham Lincoln first referred to, and it it, it's, it's, it has to do with our better angels. Mm-hmm. And I think we are all capable of being better angels, whether that means kindness to others, kindness to ourselves, generosity of spirit, um, an appreciation of life because there's so much beauty and goodness around us. And uh, that's that's what really will make us better as individuals and also, I think, helps us as a society, as a civilization, to keep moving forward, which I think is what we're supposed to be doing, um, trying to to improve, to get, get our way one more step up the ladder of, of being better people as, as individuals and being better as, as a whole society. So it's the notion of, of your better angel. And it's hard, you know, it's easy to be petty and it's easy to be mean and it's easy to be small-minded. Um, 
But those are really negative and damaging. And I, I like to think that, that we all we all can rise above that. Keep our keep our moral compass pointed in the right direction and just be the best we can be. That's a beautiful, beautiful recipe for living. And I'm presuming that you have lived your life that way all these years. I think you're being very generous. Uh, <laughs> I've certainly, you know, tried, but you know, uh-huh. nobody. I mean, you fail, and you then then you pick yourself up and you try again. Yeah. You know, we're all capable of being petty mm-hmm. and kind of narrow-minded at times, and and you just have to get beyond that and 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 learn learn to to just open yourself up to people and and be kind and generous. Um, even when you might not necessarily want to be. So I, I think that's the challenge. And, you know, I, I think my, I think we all are capable of of, of learning to be better and, and improving and step by step and day by day and, and not getting discouraged. You know, if you, if you make a mistake, right. you, you pull yourself up and you just keep going. You forgive yourself. You be kind to yourself. You don't bog down on the, in the I can't because we all can. And that's what we have to focus on. So true. Patricia, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning. My guest will be Marie Jagopoulos. She is an intuitive counselor, healer, and spiritual mentor. Marie will be hosting and conducting her bi-weekly Meditation for Moms series and talk about her worldwide consciousness movement, Meditation for Moms. In this show, Marie will be guiding you on how to use meditation to communicate with your guardian angel or spirit guide. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Patricia, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 